Welcome to On The Ledge podcast episode 141 and today we're root bound. In today's episode I talk to Alice Vincent aka Nauticulture about her new book Rootbound. It's a mix of memoir, botanical history and biography and if you are somebody who has got into plants in the last few years, lots of this book will resonate strongly for you. We cover loads of ground here from why we both love nasturtiums to all the things you can do with sticky willy. It's a plant, keep it clean. And we also talk about Alice's other new project, an audio book all about sowing seeds. Fantastic. That's coming up shortly after a tad of housekeeping. Thanks for all your lovely feedback on Diva Week. I'm glad to hear that you all enjoyed the expert advice from our clutch of growers who were so brilliant at giving you the lowdown on these plants. And I am super chuffed that people are still committing to become patrons, even at this time of difficulties financially for so many people. Chris and Darian became legends and Erica became a crazy plant person. So thank you to you trio of lovelies. And thank you to Suterbox from Belgium, who left a lovely review for On The Ledge on Apple Podcasts. Long-time listeners or those who have binged on every episode of On The Ledge may remember that Alice Vincent featured back in episode 14, blimey, that was a long time ago, when I talked to her about balcony gardening. Since then, she's got a new balcony and she's changed jobs. She was writer and editor on the arts desk of The Telegraph, but now she's features editor at Penguin Books. But she's perhaps better known to the gardening world through her Instagram account, Nauticulture, which also translated into a column for The Telegraph. And her book, Rootbound Rewilding a Life, is out now. This isn't a how-to or a glossy coffee table book. No, this is an account of Alice Vincent's encounters with plants from her childhood through a rocky period in her personal life that led out the other side to a greater appreciation of the plants around her. This interview was recorded in mid-May, so if you're listening further down the line when perhaps the world is a slightly different place, then you'll forgive the references to lockdown and so on. But that's the world we're in right now. So that's what we're dealing with. And as you're listening, do check out the show notes for links to Alice's book and also details of her audiobook, Seeds from Scratch. It's really nice to have you back on the show. You were a very early guest, as I remember, talking about balcony gardening. That was a long time ago now. It's got to be two years ago. But you're back on the show to talk about a couple of things. But the thing I want to talk to you about first is your lovely new book, Rootbound, Rewilding a Life, which has got a super cover on it. I have to say props on the cover because it's (laughs) very lush and leafy. And this book, I think, has caught the imagination of lots of people who, given the current insert pandemic cliche phrase here, 
the current situation that we're in, the unprecedented situation, has, has caught people's imagination. Just tell me a little bit about the, the what the book's about and how it all came about. Well, it certainly wasn't written with a pandemic in mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody wants to launch a book right now, I guess, but no, you can't no. select that. You can't, no. And I think if uh, I, I'm certainly, of all the losses of the pandemic, uh, a book being released and it is definitely not on that list. Um, it came about as the kind of, it wasn't like I woke up one day and was like, I'm going to write a nature memoir. Um, I, you know, so the, for the uninitiated, the book deals with a number of things, but it essentially examines how humans go to ground in times of uh, traumatic events and turbulence. And, and I examine kind of other generations that have kind of discovered plants for themselves and in, in the ways in which they do it uh, alongside this narrative of um, a year of my life, in my late 20s, when the path I thought my life was taking completely veered off the tracks and kind of turned to dust, I guess. And when it, and during which I discovered gardening as a means of coping, really. And I kind of, as a writer, I started to write about it, you know, six, eight a year, months, a year after the fact. And eventually it, it kind of appeared that actually maybe it could be a book. Um, and plants for me have always been... a the, the plants that make themselves interesting to me are always the ones that have stories. So and that's how I learn plant names and plant facts and whatever tiny amount of botany I've got. It's from learning this, the origins and stories of a plant. And so it interweaves these narratives of plant stories with that of my own. And it's all about, um, I guess, the relative therapy that gardening and growing things gave me at a time when not else much did, really. Now, you are a classified as a millennial, and yes. I am not a millennial. I think I'm probably about a decade older than you. Tell me about being a millennial and plants, because there's a lot of cliches out there on the interwebs about yeah. millennials and their house plants. But Very much. As, as part of that generation, how does that kind of cliche make you feel? And is there a kind of way to bypass that to get to the, an actual nub of truth about how millennials are interacting with plants? Such a good question. Um, so I've had quite a lot of people generously talk to me about Rootbound and they think the whole thing's about houseplants. And I think that might be because of the cover. It's got a very kind of botanical, uh, indoorsy, planty cover of it. Um, but um, it's not about houseplants. It's about the need for the outdoors and it's about this constant searching for the outdoors it nevertheless acknowledges that for many people my age uh discovering houseplants was a kind of gateway to gardening more more widely and there's nothing wrong with houseplants they're brilliant and I think um I think to answer your question about how those cliches help make me feel I mean I think it's such a limited understanding and I definitely think there is a grain of truth. It's a trend. And I'm sure, you know, as you've investigated on your brilliant podcast, um, it's a trend that's popping up for lots of reasons and is very established and brings a lot of people joy. But it's also representative of a wider need to engage um, with the soil, with the ground, with growing things and with nature. Because my argument that I kind of make in the book is that those born after 1980 and grew up uh, in the subsequent years, we were the first generation to grow up 
with the internet. We were the first generation to grow up, you know, to to grow up without the internet, the last generation to grow up without the internet. Um, and I, my childhood, which was one of being outside, was also very much one of being sit down. This is Microsoft Windows 95. This is your Game Boy. This is your first smartphone. This is MSN Messenger. You know, we learned to do things really, really quickly and we learned to cultivate a reliance upon instant gratification. And is it any wonder that we get to our adulthood and we're desperate to slow down? And gardening offers that opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. I mean, I think your your Windows 95 was probably my ZX81. <laughs> <laughs> Loading games on a tape player. I'm probably like the only person in, who's who's listening to this who can experience, remember that experience. But anyway, that <laughs> taught you patience. I can tell you. Wait half I an can hour believe it. <laughs> um, but, I mean, yes, something wonderful about that anyway. But this is not a computer games uh, podcast. One of the things I loved in the book was your description of your interactions with plants as a child, which did ring a lot of bells for me as a child of the 70s and 80s, talking about things like sticky weed. Although I have to say, I don't know if that was sanitized for the book, but down my way, it was sticky willy. And that plant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it was called sticky too it shouldn't have been sanitized i don't know i think, I think that was I'm, one I'm of just joking <laughs> it did make me laugh though i mean that plant's got so many many uh different common names but you know sticking that on people's bags i mean i have to say my son has discovered that uh, during lockdown and absolutely loves coming home and he really only festoons himself in it but coming home covered in sticky weed at the end of dog walk um but also um using things like dandelions and grasses I was going to ask if children still do that, but obviously they do because my son certainly does and I'm sure yeah. not alone. But do we spend quite so much time, do kids these days spend quite so much time doing that kind of thing with plants? I wonder if lockdown actually has given them more opportunities to fiddle about with plants in a kind of idle way and find out lots of interesting things about them. I really hope it has. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I live um, next to woodland, um, close enough to kind of the main stretch out of the woods from the balcony. I, I kind of see, hear it. And yeah, there's a lot of kids out and about, which is nice, like really cool if that's one of the very small positive upsides of this entire endeavour. Um, do kids still do it? I mean, I moved to a village when I was four and... Um, I, you know, I've lived in cities for nearly 15 years now and I don't have any children. So I'm probably not the person to ask, <laughs> but, but certainly that I do, the, you know, if I think about my childhood, for all that I said about spending time indoors, there was also an awful lot of freedom. Like from the age of about seven or eight, we were kind of just let to roam the village because everyone sort of knew each other and there wasn't really that much trouble you could get into if you were probably going to one another's houses or you're going into the fields so there you know that was really there what there literally wasn't really that much stuff to play with but we could go roaming in in the countryside to our heart's content really which sounds terribly idyllic it was also by the time I got to about 13 like excruciatingly dull so <laughs> swings and roundabouts yeah. uh, and and actually ironically it was that boredom with it that pushed me so far away from nature for the next decade or so. And did you find as an adult that that some of those plants that you'd kind of forgotten about sort of came back into your 
into your view. I'm thinking about this because of what I have seen coined the term plant blindness, this idea that we're walking along and we're not really noticing the plants around us. I know obviously you and I both are very much alert to interesting plants around us but lots of people aren't Mm. is that something that's changing um and being driven by millennials this desire to sort of experience plants and also through your own your own work you you finding people coming and going oh I've just started looking at the weeds in in my front front driveway because or or my front path because Mm. of your book and and realizing there's fascinating things out there I wish they were that specific examples um, <laughs> and, and that would be amazing. So I've definitely been very, very touched by the number of people who've got in touch saying you've made me notice nature more or you've made me so much more aware of like plants and the natural world around us, which is like when you kind of write a book in all its various grisly unpleasantness, you, 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 I would never have been so grand to imagine that that was something that might happen as a result. And that's really so heartening um are we noticing more what has been really interesting in lockdown is the number of people who have been seen on social media and stuff asking for apps which can help them identify plants and birds and other bits of nature there is a real hunger people are suddenly really fascinated with it because i think especially if you've only got your mile or so radius in which to walk around most days and obviously those rules are changing Uh, in the near future, but we're still realistically going to be relatively limited on where we can go, then actually in order to, it's so much easier to notice the differences, so much easier to notice cow parsley turning up, it's so much easier to notice the hawthorn blooming, because you're walking that every single day. Um, And we are plant blind. I mean, there's, I can't remember the statistics, there's a brilliant book released earlier this year called Losing Eden by Lucy Jones. And in it, she she gives the numbers of um, plants recognised by our generation, by that of our parents and by that of our grandparents. And the numbers are just completely, We, I think uh, millennials recognise like 10% of something that their grandparents would know the names mm. of. So we are incredibly plant blind. I'm still very plant blind. Um, and that's what's so shocking is that we are at a stage when we're having to gather that information ourselves and it's quite daunting to know where to start. That's an interesting one about the plant apps. And I, I've I've seen the same phenomenon and it really interests me because me, old school me says plant apps are not the answer. <laughs> However, right. my son has decided to do a survey of all the spiders in our house. And Cute. I was absolutely blown away when he went onto Google Lens on my phone and immediately identified accurately a a species of spider using google lens from a very blurry photograph and i was like wow and i thought actually this can work to spark interest because i think if you if you see a spider or indeed a plant and you don't know what it is it's kind of it it can be a mystery that just remains a mystery whereas Mm. once you can put a name to something you can go and study it then that's a good thing but I, what I do find, though, is when I ask for an ID of a plant on, on Twitter or something, that the, all the answers that come back from somebody who's using an app are always incorrect. And all the people right. who are the experts come back with the right answer. So I'm in two minds about these apps. I don't yeah. know how you feel. It's, it's a similar kind of thing. I mean, when I first started gardening, I used PlantSnap as a means of helping me to identify and grow things but the thing is with plant snap is that 
which is now called something else, I think, smart plant. It's been through a million different iterations. Um, that Those plants are diagnosed and identified by real people who are experienced at the other end. Mm. So it's not it's not automated. Um, I'm still a bit old school. Like I have a kind of, I'm trying to like stretch my head around the recording equipment to have a look. I've got a, a really old wildflower book, which has, is amazing because it's got photographs, not illustrations and it has them done in chronological order through the year that's handy it's really handy it's unfortunately not too it's too big to take in a pocket but um I really like that as a means of identifying things and of course the beauty of uh existing in communities like you and I do of like Instagram and uh other social media is that you know, without without being a total irritant, there's no. If I'm burning with a curiosity, I tend to text someone who I know will have the answer. Um, but yeah, I mean, technology is a funny thing. Like most of my plant information has come from the internet. It's come from like Instagram or reading people's blogs or delving into gardeners' world forums and books. Like books, really helpful. But I don't think we can be too puritanical about this because while people might have the wrong answer, if, as you say, if it encourages a curiosity, mm. then they'll eventually they'll find the right thing out. Yeah, I think that's really true. And hopefully, as you say, it sparks the curiosity and makes people want to go deeper. I do love all my native plant books, which are many of various uh, but at the same time, as you say, the immediacy of being able to plug something into an app. I mean, great when you've got an app that's got some human beings behind it as well um, mm. and get some answers, some possible answers. I think that is that is invaluable. Talking further about Instagram, you run the account Nauticulture. Tell me the origins of that name and what you use Instagram for. So the name came to me. I can still remember it. I was sat on the top deck of the... Uh, 68 bus it was around I think it was the 8th of December 2015 I have like quite a scientific memory wow. yeah I can't remember what I did last week I'm so impressed well it's just certain things my, my dad has this amazing ability to remember dates so I kind of try to practice the same and I was on the way home from one of the first Christmas parties of the season when I was an entertainment journalist which essentially makes everything exhausting from about mid-November until actual Christmas and you're so done you never want a Christmas party ever again um but I was on the way back from this swish party and I sat on the top deck of the bus and the glass the windows were all steamed up and it just appeared to me it was like nauticulture um and I'd been thinking of what to call this account for quite a long time I wanted to express that I was a rank beginner I wanted to express that it was about gardening and I didn't at that time want to use the word gardening because I think even in the past five years, gardening has had a, its own natural rebrand, but at that time it was a deeply unsexy word. <laughs> so I guess it's a portmanteau of horticulture and the sense of nothingness. So like having no knowledge, knowing nought, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's where the name came from. And what do I use Instagram for? Changes all the time. Um, initially I used it as a means of exploring and dipping a toe into the world of broadcasting my curiosity and affection for gardening and my nascent education, self-education in it. Um, I still think it inhabits that, but what's weird is that now I use it as a means of explaining things and giving out information, which is rather the reverse. And I suppose it's also for me very much a, a community. I've made some genuinely really wonderful friends on it. 
And um, it's, you know, at its most basic, it's uh, content, isn't it? Like I put out photographs and I send, you know, I draw attention to the things that I've written and I like to share little videos and things. It's, for me, it's an exploration and celebration of all the good things that come in gardening in small urban spaces, which I felt wasn't particularly well catered for. One of the delights of your Instagram is your balcony tours. Now, we covered your balcony a little bit in the previous episode that we did, but mm. give us a balcony update. What's been happening out there? I think I've got a new balcony since Oh, the yeah, quite possibly, actually. New That's balcony, true. yeah. So um, I moved from a very exposed north-facing balcony to a very sheltered west-facing balcony, which is surrounded by trees. Um, so... I'm looking at it now. It's very green and beautiful. It's also very shady, but it's growing well. The hostas are like are enormous. The uh, Fatsia japonica is doing its thing. I've had a bit of a shuffle around recently because I found this ladder by the bins of my estate and it's like beautiful vintage green ladder and I brought wow. it back. So that's now holding all of my nasturtium seedlings which mean that on the other side of the wall, I've got a load of hardy geraniums in troughs up in the wall. Um, so yeah, it's growing. It's um, fit to burst with seedlings, like I imagine most people's growing spaces are at the moment. Finding that ladder, oh my gosh, I'd have been, <laughs> so, I'd have been so made up coming home with that. I bet you were too. I was, but you know what? Like that about three hours earlier, I'd had a row with my partner who has moved in relatively recently um, because I was just frustrated at, his crap being everywhere, which isn't even <laughs> fair. Like most of his stuff is in storage. It's a bit of a temporary situation. Then lockdown happened, jokes. But um, anyway, I was like, there's no room for anything in this house. And then like, I literally snuck it in when his back was turned in the kitchen because he was like, I thought you said there was no room for anything in this house. And you're just hauling this ladder in here. But um, the, ladder, the ladder's saving space, right? The ladder's right. making space. That's exactly, that'd be my Jane. argument. Exactly. <laughs> I was just like, I just said, it's going on the balcony and like snuck it in. Um, oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that would have yeah. cost you 50 quid from some, you know, fancy uh, upcycling shop. So, you know. Exactly, exactly. No, so I'm like. very pleased with it. And it's so funny, I nearly didn't rescue it. I put it on my stories being like, I'm so tempted to get this from the bins. <laughs> and the good people of Instagram were like, do it in their dozens they were like do it do it do it you've got to do it <laughs> so the people of instagram can you can you highlight a couple of other really good instagram accounts that yes. we should be following that are oh just... my goodness how long have you got i don't know how many of them have been on the ledge before um i'm a huge fan of in my head i'm right thinking right now like floral fabulosity uh in the form of arthur parkinson's account oh Chicken, yes ab fab tulips what more could you want millie proust is a flower grower in sussex and she's been giving me just like visual prozac um uh ford abbey poetry and beautiful escapes and misty mornings down in uh devon so beautiful somerset somewhere down that way beautiful on more practical sense, I learn something from Andrew Timothy O'Brien every single day. Yes. Um, Jack Wallington's Urban Garden is turning Clapham into Palm Springs, and I am so here for it. <laughs> um, and Claire Rattanen, who uh, was an urban grower and has recently moved up to Sussex and is, you know, just brings me total joy and knows so much if you're in the if if you're in the realm of no dig and growing edibles and things, she's your gal. Um, all sorts of people. I follow right. a mix of photographers and plant people. 
um, and they normally collide in the middle. I'll try to put links to all of those in the show notes because there are some top, top recommendations there. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes that's really nice. A bit of visual Prozac is what we all need. Um, it, the trouble is when it goes over into just sheer jealousy and self-pity, <laughs> uh, the fact that you're... I saw somebody this, this morning with an amazing um, Calathea um, Orbifolia, the one with the really wide, big leaves, and it yeah. was it was so enormous. This plant, and I just I just felt this rush of pure hot jealousy <laughs> of this person's plant, and I was just like, control yourself, Barone. That's really sad. Just be glad for them <laughs> that their Calathea is thriving. But um, I think that's that's the flip side. Is where it just gets dangerous. I mean, I know that lots of people have. I'm sure it's the same for you. Lots of people blame me when they go have to go out and buy more plants because <laughs> they've seen me doing something or talking about something. Is it the same for you? Do people sort of say, you know, I've just had to buy 25 pounds worth of seeds because of your excellent. Uh, um yeah I think maybe I think that I'm um, the thing that comes to mind most recently that I think I've probably inspired a sort of small rush on are um this very ingenious little uh widget which costs 60 pence and you screw it onto the top of a water bottle and it turns your water bottle into a rose which is perfect for seedlings and it's from I can't I'm going to send you the link so you can put it in your show notes but I just I've just been watering a lot with it because I've got a lot of seedlings and it's the hand and it sits on a two liter liter water bottle and the number of people who have just been like I bought this because of you and I'm like well <laughs> cool like it's not a large investment the postage probably costs more but yeah no I think that and the occasional gardening book recommendation tends to be it people generally greening their space talking of seedlings brings us neatly on to another project that you've been working on which i believe is out either now or imminently uh an audiobook tell me more about this yes. audiobook ah it's um it's a lockdown baby it's a corona baby uh <laughs> It's called Seeds from Scratch and it is a garden long audiobook. So over the course of four chapters, which is around 90 minutes, um, if you've never sown seeds before or if you have and you've never had much success, the plan is that you listen to it and uh, me, unfortunately, we couldn't get anyone more dulcet toned to do it in such a short period of time, will guide you through the process of sowing your seeds and raising those seeds into a plant and what you do at each stage. So we cover pricking out, uh, thinning out, potting on, um, things like light and, and not enough of it and watering and legginess and that kind of stuff. And along the way, while you're doing it, I also reflect on kind of encouraging you to listen to the meditative sides of gardening, really indulging your senses and how to notice more when you garden to ultimately get, we hope, a sense of satisfaction and calm from it. This surely has to be a hit, given the fact that seed shops are selling out amazingly fast during this pandemic. Everybody and his wife who wasn't into seed growing before has suddenly developed an interest. So hopefully this will sell really well. Can you give us a kind of a, a very, very potted couple of tips? What's the where's the first thing that people go wrong with with sowing seeds? I think that the very, very first thing is um, underestimating the amount of light you're sp- or overestimating the amount of light your space gets. So, uh, I mean, I've done this. I've tried to grow sweet peas of all things on my shade garden balcony. And it's not to say that you cannot grow. There aren't annuals that will thrive in your kind of shadier conditions because I grow them every year and there are certain varieties which do 
totally put up with those conditions. But I think there's a lot of people who are like, I want to grow some edibles, I'll grow tomatoes, and they might not have enough light um, to get those going. So, you know, really, uh, and I hope the, the audiobook does this, really think critically about how much space you like light your space realistically gets and then adjust your you know because nobody wants gangly leggy tomatoes that won't fruit it's just such a waste of expectation hope and everything else um and then secondly and i'm i'm a real stickler for this we can always end up sowing too thickly or rather too many seeds that's fine but be brutal with the thinning out um nobody really likes to do it it always feels a bit like killing your darlings but much better off to do it than not and pinching out as well painful in the short term vital in the long term i'd say i'd love to know why it is everyone thinks that tomatoes are the first thing they ever need to sow because (laughs) because tomatoes are really not that easy they're not no but everyone wants to start with them it always amazes me and they're also uh, like not exactly difficult to get hold of right like yeah if you want to you can get a lot of delicious tomatoes even if you want to support your local grocer and buy them in seasonally I I get that but I don't know I'm one of those people that if I had an allotment I'd just grow cut flowers on it anyway so Mm. (laughs) I mean and the other the other lie that I really want to put to rest is the idea that homegrown tomatoes always taste better and they really don't like I mean I think people have this idea they're going to grow homegrown tomatoes and they're going to have this amazing epiphany you know there's going to be angels singing because the tomatoes are going to be so tasty (laughs) I mean I think if you've got them growing in a greenhouse possibly you will get more of an intense flavour, but it's very hit and miss, I find, with outdoor tomatoes. And, yeah, I think that's another big disappointment. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's one of those things. It's, it's well, what's, a, what's a better starter seed then for somebody who's... I don't think you can go wrong with herbs, which sounds very basic, but actually the amount of waste and air miles involved in shipping in herbs and then eating them in your house, and you always end up with either, like, a half dead supermarket herb basil on your kitchen windowsill or a kind of shriveled up miserable bag of cut parsley in your fridge drawer. And the fact is that actually herbs like coriander, basil, parsley, I think grow really reliably. They some, you know, some varieties can take a little while to germinate, but you can cut and come then again. A lot of them will be relatively hardy. Um, I keep parsley outside all year and I know that I'm in London and it's a bit warmer, but still, and the satisfaction of cutting your own herbs, which you can use in a whole variety of dishes, is likely to be far greater than, as you say, these tomatoes, which you nurture and nurture and nurture, and then you have a crop and most of them are green and some of them aren't that tasty. Um, I'd also say salad leaves as well. You can grow so many really interesting salad crops. Um, Mitsunas, uh, mustards, pea shoots, which is so fresh. I mean, when I work outside on the balcony, I just end up eating most of my pea shoot crop just idly while tapping emails because they're like sweets. They're so yummy and and sweet and gorgeous. So yeah, I'd say stick to the leafy greens and just because you'll get so much from them and you'll be able to eat them with everything. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice. I just love just chucking a, a few coriander seeds just from the a big bag from the supermarket Mm -hmm. and they just grow. I mean, and you've got this wonderful crop. I mean, I just had one particularly good crop last, it was last winter, I think it was. 
And I just remember picking them. I was just the smuggest person alive. <laughs> I literally had bagfuls of this fresh coriander. Yes. I know not everyone likes coriander, but it just, it was so good. And I normally have a reasonable amount, but that year it just felt so abundant. And I felt so lady bountiful giving away these bags <laughs> of coriander to people. And it smells so good. Oh, it's amazing. I know some people find it soapy and horrible, but mm. um, I just love coriander. Uh, yeah, that that's very, very true. Well, I hope that the, the audiobook sells well. How can we get hold of it? So I believe it's going to be available through iTunes. And if you're an Audible customer, I think you can get it through there as well. And um, yeah, Seeds from Scratch. And uh, I will be definitely shouting about it online so if you want to join in we are sharing photos of uh, your seed sowing station and, and you sowing seeds so stick them up and tag me and hashtag seeds from scratch and that'll be fun as well awesome much as I, I do love sowing seeds but i am also a big proponent uh, of the perennial vegetable and yes. um i think that is another area that is is just right for people who are getting into um vegetables to get into I'm, i mean i feel like i'm some kind of crazy tent evangelist about these plants <laughs> have you ever tried any perennial vegetables i'm have not you, because you... the thing is like on this you know on this space that i'm on most of the plants on the balcony are perennials i'm yeah. a huge perennial fan like in terms of design in terms of growing them i i love it but they're really there's not a lot of space and there's not a lot of light, which means yeah. growing edibles is a bit of a challenge. And certainly giving over space to them for the course of a whole year is you've got to be, you've got to be a top plant to earn that level of space on the balcony. Yeah, I hear so, you. But I they are you. amazing. And like, I know people, it's, I think people don't even know that you can get perennial vegetables. And of course you can. So you're wise to preach about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's, as I say, it's my ongoing uh, mission to get, to convert people to, to the mission. The other flower, is there any particular flower, you talked about sweet peas, is there any other flower that is really your number one thing to try growing from seed? I quite like growing cosmos from seed, but actually beyond that, nasturtiums are probably the number one. Oh yes, because yeah. and they're what I've got growing at the moment. And because of lockdown and the aforementioned challenges of getting seeds, I've actually been able to buy nasturtium seeds in quite a variety in the supermarket. So I've sown so many of them, and the ladder is going to be a kind of tower of nasturtiums later on this summer I hope and I love them because not only are they entirely edible so you can eat them but they're just to me they're really easy they're a great one to grow with children because the seeds are quite big so they're good for little hands and they will grow in incredibly poor soil if you don't have any compost you know you could literally do it in the scraping you know the sweepings of your patio I'd imagine and if you don't water them too much they only flower more like they're just they're kind of brilliant. For me, they always really remind me of holidays and, uh, yeah, so I'm a nasturtium yeah, fan, I'd I, say. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I love the idea of a nasturtium la tower on the ladder. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, they are. They are amazing plants. There's so many different things you can do with them. And they're so tolerant of different conditions, whether they're in full sun or shade. Uh, yeah, they're they're fantastic. And the other, I'm just looking at the other thing that I absolutely love. Now, perhaps you don't have enough sun for this on your balcony, but English marigolds, pot marigolds. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. I, I never sow any. They just self sow in my oh, in my vegetable patch, and they're just they're just so they give me so much joy at the minute. They're just so ridiculously bright orange. 
Yeah, and if you're into like herbalism or you want to start with a bit of herbalism and different mm. medicinal uh, uses for plants, then obviously marigolds, calendula, has a, they've got all sorts of uses. I had a packet of calendula seeds and I actually sent them to a friend. So um, I'm going to have to track down some more, maybe when the garden centre's open and, and get on with that because you're right, they're brilliant. They're so cheery. And zinnia as well uh, are another mm. example. We've got, yeah, it's we're just about getting into zinnia sowing time, I'd say. And yes, very yes, cheery, are. very bright, um, which is, you know, uh, it, when it's like one of those slightly chilly spring days, you're like, can I handle the luminosity? And it's like, yes, you can wait a few months. <laughs> you'll want uh, it. I've got a I've got a book recommendation for you. Have you come across the book called Vickery's Folk Flora? No, that's You might amazing. love this book. You might love this book. It is. Um, I've just got it here. Um, it is. An A to Z of the folklore and uses of British and Irish plants. So basically, it, this guy has collected over many decades all the different common names and stories behind um, British plants. Oh, and it's, it's it. such a good book. It's really, really good. And I'm just looking up some of the names of Calendula officinalis or Marigold. Uh, apparently, they call it Merry-Go-Rounds in Dorset, Nobody's Flower in Wiltshire, and... <laughs> Um, Mary Gowlin in Northumberland. So there we go. Brilliant. Top. And apparently it was used to treat measles. There you <laughs> so go. go. It's a pretty really book. interesting book. Yes, I'll 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 put it up. I'll put it up on my Insta. It's a, it's a really great book actually. Um, and I thought it might be one that you might might enjoy. Yeah, that sounds right up my street. Thank you. It is. It's a massive tome, though. It's not one you're going to be sort of wandering around with because it's huge. It's like a brick, but it's it great. can set. It sits next to uh, more of Grebes and modern herbal. The two, yes, slightly, you know, like seventies tomes for yes. for bedtime reading. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's lovely to talk to you, Alice, and I'm so delighted to have been able to to chat to you about about Rootbound, which is a fantastic book. I will put details of that in the show notes. That's out now and. I would say in all good bookshops, but unfortunately, at the moment, as we speak, not quite. No. But hopefully soon. And uh, is there a, is there an, an ebook? Is there all those kind of good things of that? I mean, I always, you know, please support independent bookshops, especially now. Otherwise, Waters Indeed. of Five, all good. But if you want it on Kindle, it's currently stupidly reasonable on Kindle. It's like two pounds seventy or something on Kindle, oh, and right. um, audio book is not that cheap, but it is uh, read so beautifully by an actress called Fiona Hampton and she does such a gorgeous job. So yeah, audio, ebook, physical copies, all all in existence. Brilliant. Well, good luck with that. And I hope the uh, the Seeds audiobook also does really, really well. Thank you. And what are you, anything, any more future <sighs> pandemic plans or is it all up in the air? It's um yeah I've it's been a bit it's been a busy few weeks and I've just sort of stopped and taken a breather so hopefully continuing with the original lockdown plan which is getting my head into a few books and brewing up something new. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what that is and thank you very much for joining me Alice. Thank you for having me.
you to today's guest, Alice Vincent. I'll be back next Friday with more planty goodness. Until then, have a great week. Bye. in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops and The Encouragement Stick by Dr Turtle. Both tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See the show notes at janeperone.com for details.